You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Hello, I'm Charles Cooper, and welcome to another talk about Jesus Christ and his ministry as the Son of God. The prophetic ministry of Jesus, the Son of God, of course, is of interest to everyone, that is, those who are believers, yet Jesus never explicitly says that he is a prophet. There is no indication of our Lord stating in a factual way that he is a prophet uh, in the fullest sense of the, the Old Testament. Yet we can and we do see an some a somewhat indirect claim uh, to prophetic identification. In Luke chapter 4, verse 24, it says, And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now, of course, Jesus here is responding to the unbelief and hostility of his hometown of Nazareth, where the people have objected to him because of perhaps his background and what they knew about him. And in a context of responding to their rejection, uh, Jesus says that they often reject a prophet in his own hometown. This can be said to be a somewhat indirect reference, Um, the comparison here of the conduct of people toward the prophet in his hometown uh, may indirectly suggest that Jesus sees himself as a prophet. It is very clear that the Jewish people identified Jesus as a prophet and explicitly says so. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 11, it says, And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This, of course, is Jesus coming uh, to the city within days of dying on Calvary's cross. The people see him as a prophet, and I suppose, in every sense of what they would expect of an Old Testament prophet. Even Peter uh, is able to add uh, information here. Peter identifies Jesus as a prophet in fulfillment of Moses' prediction, as does Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 3, verse 22 and following, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. 
This, of course, is interesting because it gives us some insight into how the people uh, viewed the role of a prophet. Now, we tend to think of prophets purely as those who give us uh, insight into the future uh, through their spoken word. At many times, the prophet was simply one who communicated to the people the will of God and relative to their immediate situation and circumstance. Interestingly, in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 13 and following, it says, Now when Jesus came to, to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, whom Jesus, of course, called the greatest prophet of all. Others Others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is uh, rather interesting in that Jesus um, here clearly identifies himself as the Son of God, uh, the Messiah, though he does not want the disciples to disclose this information in the immediate future. Later on, they will, of course, after he is resurrected from the dead. While Jesus exercised the role of a prophet, he was much more than that. He was the Messiah, the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, makes this very point. The text says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, in contrast, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. This is very interesting because I believe the New Testament authors recognized that Jesus was far more than a prophet. Could he foretell the future? Well, of course. Could he heal? Could he tell the people what God says in their immediate context? Yes, of course. But he was far more 
significant as the Son of God in his capacity to reveal to us the will of God. The revelatory capacity of the Son of God is far greater than that of a prophet. During his public earthly ministry, Jesus' prophetic ministry exclusively focused on the gospel of God, a message that we saw on the lips of Enoch, and now we hear on the lips of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15 explicitly states, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying three critically important things. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, ladies and gentlemen, in the Greek language, they, they didn't have quotation marks like we have today that indicate direct speech. They had words, however, that function pretty much as quotation marks. And in the ESV, the phrase and saying says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And you could translate it like this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of, of God by saying, or you could translate it, quote, saying, quote, indicating that the content of what Jesus said is now going to be delineated, expressed. So we're not left to wonder what the gospel of God is, the text explicitly tells us what it is. The gospel of God is, number one, time is fulfilled. Number two, the kingdom of God is at hand. And number three, all should repent and believe in the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that we have a tendency to get really excited about fulfilled Bible prophecy, particularly as it relates to end times. Everybody uh, that is believers, uh, many of them, not every believer, but a lot of believers have great interest in trying to figure out that the Bible says about the return of Christ and what is going to be happening and whether the church is here or not and how are believers going to handle those last days, etc., etc., etc. But I have, I want you to know that the gospel of God was the focus and central message of the Son of God. Everything that he said in one way or another, is directly applicable to the gospel of God. 
Now, I know that most of us have been taught and we have come to believe, and to some degree we have a right angle here, the gospel of Christ, that is, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, is seen to be the central message of the New Testament, or rather the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Yet in reality, it is the Gospel of God. It is a message from God through His Son to the people on this earth. In fact, a closer look at it will reveal a prophetic significance far greater, ladies and gentlemen, than just the idea of the return of Christ and the timing. Now, to be sure, this is an important topic, and many people have spent many, 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 many years working on trying to clarify and to make this issue clear. Yet, I believe it has escaped our attention, and perhaps the church has never recovered the centrality of the gospel of God since the Dark Ages. The, the Bible closed, a couple hundred years of preaching went on, and then suddenly we were plunged into what is called the Dark Ages. More than a thousand years, where the, the gospel was locked up in the scriptures with few men able to read and fewer men interpreting them. The gospel of God is a prophetically significant piece of information that many believers are ignorant of and don't know. And yet, Jesus spent three years teaching about the gospel of God. And the parables, the prophetic uh, instrument used of God through Jesus, all the parables in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are exploring the gospel of God. We're going to look at these prophetic significant pieces because of what they tell us and what we need to do in light of it to make sure that we will stand in victory at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God, as any great prophet would have done. He would have come shouting out loud God's word that that which God wanted the people to know. The prophet would walk from city to city, town to town, neighborhood to neighborhood, proclaiming out loud the word of God. Jesus is doing the exact same thing. He is shouting out loud, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. Now, obviously, the question is, what is the good news of God? Because if Jesus spent three years teaching, it is prophetically significant. In fact, the great parables of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have to do with the gospel of God and the unraveling of God's plan to bring a kingdom 
to this earth. All the parables, the centrality of Christ's teaching, and in fact, the overarching controlling narrative has to do with the gospel of God. Now notice Mark defines the gospel of God three things. He says the time is fulfilled. That's number one. Matthew chooses to focus on the time aspect as a time of dispelling of darkness, which of course he sees as a lack of knowledge of God's historical works. It says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 and following, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Now he's talking about Jesus. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now here Matthew focuses on the time as being one of light dispelling darkness, and particularly the darkness that has wrapped the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. Now these are two of the tribes on the east side of the Jordan River, which had become primarily occupied by Gentiles. But these Gentiles, knowledgeable somewhat of the role of God's people. Zebulon and Neptali, wrapped in the darkness of the exiled, have never recovered, and in fact were ignorant and did not know what God's plan was for the land as for his people are concerned. So Matthew focuses on a time of darkness being dispelled by the light of the knowledge of God through his representative, Jesus Christ. This is the time for the light of God to shine on those in darkness. Mark does not focus on the essence or content of the time. He simply says that the time is fulfilled. However, it is Luke that really explores the great dimensions of what this time is all about. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 and following, he defines the time as the year of God's favor. Both Jesus and Luke follow up the identity or 
explain that the time that we have entered into is God's jubilee in language that can only be seen as uniquely focused on the Old Testament described jubilee of Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 15, both Jesus and Luke repeating announced the year of release has come. In fact, the way the text is organized, Jesus quoting from Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2a and interposing in there Isaiah chapter 58 verse 6, twice Jesus says that we have entered the time of release. And the Hebrew word release comes directly from Leviticus chapter 25, which is the explanation of the year of Jubilee when people are released from financial debt and debt slavery. He announced the year of release has come. The Jewish Jubilee released men from monetary debt and the resultant slavery. In fact, Luke chapter 4, verse 16 and following says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty or release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty or set at release those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you know this, you know very well that chapter 61, verses 1 and 2a, Jesus stopped just short of the proclamation that it was time for vengeance of God, which of course was in Isaiah 61, is focused against Gentiles. Jesus focused more on the release that his time on earth reveals. Jesus proclaimed God's jubilee, man's release from the bondage of sin and all of its consequences. The consequence of sin, the consequences of sin spill over into our physical, our spiritual, our civic, and even demonic uh, harassment. The time for heaven to come down to earth has come. This is a very, very strong prophetic declaration that our Lord makes in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 and following. By not focusing on the gospel of God, I believe we have missed the importance of the prophetically significant declaration that Jesus was making 
when he read Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. Jesus came to announce that the time of God's liberty, of God setting men free from the bondage caused by sin. In fact, we're going to look at all the passages where this word release, taken from uh, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2, which is clearly taken from Leviticus chapter 25 and Deuteronomy 15, where Jesus repeatedly during his three-year ministry sought to give people the knowledge that God has come, that the time has come through the power of God to release men from the bondage imposed by sin. It is both physical and spiritual, ladies and gentlemen. This is what is so important here. Jesus prophetically declared, he gave the prophetic proclamation that men are now or can be released from both the physical and spiritual bondage which has kept men locked away, that God's jubilee, ladies and gentlemen, has come. God's release. Now, in Leviticus 25, the focus is on the physical. If you've lost your land, if you've had to give it to sell it to your neighbor, if you are a debt slave trying to pay back what you owe, year 50 was supposed to be the year that all was forgiven and you were free to go back to your land and to live your life free from the bondage of your financial enslavement. As I have studied the New Testament, it is my conviction that the ministry of Jesus began in a year of Jubilee. That if the Jews were being faithful as they should have been, the following God's ordained plan, that they should have been experiencing the freedom that a jubilee would bring if they were faithful to the law as God had taught it. We're going to see the perversion and the consequences of their disobedience, which of course God punished Israel once before, 70 years because of their unfaithfulness related to the jubilees, the seven years. And we're going to see it again. And here Jesus has come to proclaim, ladies and gentlemen, to prophetically declare that God has come to set the captives free. It is my hope that you understand that Jesus never claimed to be a prophet, though he certainly exercised all the rights and privileges of the prophetic. But he was far more. He was the Son of God, and as such, his revelatory capacity was far greater than any prophet. In fact, the prophets got their information from him. He, of course, gave us the mind of his Father. Father, may we know and may we understand clearly your intent. May our eyes and ears be open widely that we may understand the gravity of your call. 
through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 